Good morning. So good to see each one of you this morning. I encourage us this morning, let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise this morning, for he's a good God. He's worthy of our praise. We've been singing this first song for for a while now, and the first verse talks about our old life before Christ and uh, reminds us that God picked us up. He turned us around. He set our feet on solid ground, and uh, he gave us a new name. He healed our hearts, and he brought us into his family because of his great love. So he's worthy to be thanked. So let's thank the Master, and let's thank the Savior this morning. Let's stand together as we worship.
That gave you enough time, yeah? <laughs> I was like, there's too much. Now, is it working? I think it is. Yeah. We want to welcome you guys this morning, as is our tradition and, and pattern. The last Sunday of the month, we, we look forward to uh, supporting our missionaries. And so for the next month, which would be, we are, what, March? So April, we're going to be uh, praying for the Christian school. And we are blessed to be able to watch this missional work happen right on our campus. And so here to give us a... Insights and how we can pray and updates and all that is Beth Weidegger. So, Beth, you want to share with everybody? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Excited to be here. Um, I just want to give you guys an update on how the school is doing. We have been blessed over, well, since I've been here, of course, but the last three years, we have had ex- exponential growth. Um, we have gone from 58 students in 2020 to 154 students this year. So, God has truly blessed us. Yes. Definitely. And I have to say, with that, WCF has been a huge help in this process. Um, your donations to our scholarship fund have been extremely helpful. 21 students this year have been able to come to the school because they were able to have scholarships, so I appreciate that. Um, but I'm guessing you all are wondering where we're at with our building project because it's kind of a project that's moved a little slow. So uh, I wanted to give you an update on that. We have hired Lower Columbia, Columbia River engineering and they are going to be working with us on the next steps we are in the process of applying for permits and we hope to break down ground no later than fall so be praying for that because we actually would love to be partially out there in the fall um and i am looking forward and excited to see what god has for this school um some of you may not know but this is my last year as the administrator at the school so we are in the process of looking for a new administrator we have uh put out Um, an ad in January, and we've had some applicants, and so we are excited about this process, and we are also know we're losing a teacher to moving, so we put out um, an ad for an elementary teacher, so if you guys know of anybody that would fit either of those roles, please send them our way, and please be praying for that um, transition, and um, we've also seen an increased need for a Christian high school. So please be praying for this. We really would like to start this at some point, and God's really continued to put it on on my heart, but also the heart of the board. Um, And so we would love your prayers in uh, just discernment for the timing of that that project, because our our county needs an additional option for kids. And then last but not least, I'm excited. Our auction is coming up on April 22nd. We have a $40,000 match. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very exciting. And so if you want to come to the auction, if you want to sponsor a table, if you, want to, if you have a donation for an item, I have forms in the back in the sound booth, so come see me, and we'd love to talk to you about the auction. So, so let's go ahead and let's pray for the Christian school and, and the ministry that's there. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given to us the privilege to be able to, to, to watch kids grow in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the educational process, even here on campus. Lord, I thank you for the provision for the school and 
Lord, we know that you guide the steps. And your timing is always perfect. I would rather it be sooner, but God, you teach us patience and endurance and, and, and provision. So Lord, as we take a look at the school moving onto uh, the new property, we ask for grace and favor with the county. We ask God that you would uh, open the, the logjam and the permitting process and, and all the things that are necessary, that you provide the resources uh, for the buildings. And, and Lord, I thank you for the, the kids that are here, but we know that there are many more kids and families that, that need to benefit from this. So Lord, we would ask for your provision for that. We pray for the administrators, that, that need, the administrator that needs to be hired and the teachers. We know that many times in schools there's transitions. And so, Lord, may you guide through these transitions and these steps. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for all that you're doing with the school, and, and may you expand its borders. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God, we thank you that you provide everything that we need and more. You're the God that loves us unconditionally. You're the God that provides for, for every need and, and even for some of our wants. You give us the air that we breathe. Thank you, Lord. You give us your love and forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. You give us the food that we need, the, the roof over our head. Thank you, Lord. And as we worship you, may we give back to you the first fruits of that which you've given to us as an act of worship. This is our response, God, to you to say thank you for all that you've given. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
just saying. He came because he didn't want us to stay lost, but he wanted us to have a relationship with him. That one, Jesus, he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And he is worthy of all the honor, the glory, and the praise.
is God, the eternal one, the omniscient one. You are incomprehensible, undescribable. And we bow our knee at your footstool this morning and give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. Thank you for all you've done for us. We are grateful people. God, it's our desire that we never forget each moment of every day that we are reminded of your great love for us, of what you've done for us in the incredible almighty God that we can call our Father, that we can call our Savior, and that we can call our Lord. So thank you for being here. Thank you for reminding us of who you are and what you've done for us this morning. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to what you would have to say to us this morning. Change our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You would open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Over 2,000 years ago, the church was born. And the church was given a message that we're going to begin celebrating, actually, next week. And the message is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of all mankind. And He rose again. We call that the gospel message. It's good news. And we were given the mandate to be able to share that good news, that gospel message, to everyone. Now, the difficulty is, we've been given a message and a mission to share that good news... But so many times we struggle with that. Do you ever find that that you get tired of the rejection, the hardship, or the hindrances? Some of these things that keep you from sharing the gospel? I got to thinking about that. You know, having been a Christian for a good number of years now, there are times when you're given that, that opportunity to share the gospel and you just don't do it. And the difficulty that it is within that... And so I was thinking about some of the reasons that people give for not sharing the gospel today. Some people, they don't share the gospel or they don't share Jesus because, quite frankly, Jesus is not a popular topic. You try to share Jesus with people and they're just, they don't want to hear it. And so you're like, well, I don't know. I don't want to start an argument. You don't talk about, especially with family members, you, you try not to talk about politics and religion. That usually doesn't go very well, unless you really like to fight. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes we view talking about Jesus really isn't a necessary conversation. They'll figure it out later, and, and we give that idea that, you know, they'll, they'll figure out eternal life and forgiveness of sins some other way, and, you know... It's not really my job. Other people will say, well, I don't have enough time to actually sit and talk to people about Jesus. I, when given that opportunity, I just don't have time. i got such a busy schedule within that. So I really don't want to share the gospel and, and share Jesus because I just don't have time. Here's one that you may relate to. I really don't know what to say. What, what do I say in sharing the gospel? How do I share the gospel? I, I really don't know. In a few weeks, we're going to be starting some classes on how to share your faith. 
But some people, they don't, they, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So I'm going to bring them to church. Pastor Kerry, you take care of it. Um, and, and here's another one. I don't share the gospel because I don't hang around unbelievers. I don't know any unbelievers. Everybody I know that is, is a Christian. And, and so your circle of relationships is very minimal. Evangelism is a conversation that we need to have. We're mandated to have within this. And we need to take every opportunity and divine appointment, regardless of the circumstances, to share Jesus. To be open to that. We're coming here to, to Acts 28 within this, and we're seeing the end of Paul's travel narrative. Paul, probably one of the greatest evangelists that have ever lived within this. And he's tired. He's been beaten up, shipwrecked, all these different things, and he comes to an end, and he wants to get to, to Rome. And Satan is continually trying to silence Paul's ministry. Satan is trying to silence your ministry. He's trying to silence the gospel. Consider the world today. Is Satan trying to silence the gospel? Absolutely. I just was speaking with someone this morning. And there was a law that was put before the Knesseret, which is the Jewish, um, it would be like the Jewish ruling group in Israel. And someone was trying to make it a law in Israel that you could not name the name of Jesus. You couldn't proselytize in Israel. Now, is that happening in our world today, in our country today? Absolutely it is. And so in our social climate where everything that people are offended by is being canceled, they're trying to cancel God. Question, can you cancel God? Can you cancel the gospel? No, Satan has been trying to cancel the gospel message ever since the original gospel was given in Genesis. You can't cancel God. How do we know that? Well, Isaiah 26 verse 4 says this, Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. One of the things that we understand is you can't cancel the gospel message because the gospel message is an everlasting message from an everlasting God. You, you can't stop him. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. It doesn't matter what government, what people, what social class try to stop the gospel. It can't be stopped, including Satan. So we need to continue on in sharing that gospel. Why? Because the love of God is everlasting. Psalm chapter, or Psalm 100 verse 5 says this, For the Lord is good, His hesed or loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. We serve an everlasting God that has an everlasting message. And that message is that He loves you. And that He gave His Son for you. And you think about the enemy of the gospel. He wants to cancel that message, and we should never give in to that. And it's a message that's based on grace. Paul would write to the Romans in this, in Romans chapter 10, 13 to 15. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Who's the whoever? It's not rocket science, it's whoever. But how will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear 
without a preacher. And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. You are a missionary. You are an evangelist. In the context of the community and the, and the people that you are around, you are that missionary and you are that evangelist. Do not let anything or anyone stop you from sharing the gospel. What can they do to you? Well, I can tell you this, as we've been looking at Paul, they did a lot to Paul and he wouldn't be stopped. We're picking up where Paul is on his way to Rome to be able to share the gospel. Now, mind you, as we're going to study, the gospel's already been there, but Paul wanted to preach to Nero. He had a high target within that. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been accused. He's been jailed all along the way. And God has given him that opportunity. Why? Because the gospel is unstoppable within that. We can continue on in sharing that gospel. And God is going to, and Paul perseveres through all the suffering. You think, well, the road should be easy. No, the road to Rome was hard. And we're going to see some examples as Paul finishes well in getting to Rome. And he is going to share the gospel regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of, of, of where he finds himself. My hope is that you will find encouragement and boldness through this to share the gospel and the truth of God in whatever circumstances you find yourself. So let's stand as we read through our text this morning. It is a little bit long, so if you can't stand that long, I get it. It's not 44 verses, it's only 31, so you're okay. But we want to give respect to God's Word. And really pray as we read through this that the Holy Spirit uh, would enlighten you on, on some of these passages. In verse 1 of chapter 28, And when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that he, the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain... That had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he would be about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publis, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publis was lying in a bed afflicted with a recurrent fever and dysentery. And when Paul into, went in to see him and after prayed, he laid hands on him and healed him. And this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. And at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandria ship, which had wintered at the island and, and had the twin brothers for his figurehead. And after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And there we sailed around and arrived in Regium, and the latter in the south of the wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Hutoli. And there we found some brethren 
and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius, and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when they entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people of the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there were no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had accusation against my nation, and for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I'm wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Well, they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor any of the brethren come here and reported or spoke anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you and what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And when they had set the day for Paul... They came to him at his lodging. Large numbers were explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they didn't agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul spoke one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your fathers, saying, quote, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute amongst themselves. He stayed for two full years in the end of his own, in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. May God bless the reading of this word. You can be seated. So we start out and it, reminding you, Paul is on his journey from Jerusalem to Caesarea Maritima, where he stood court, and then after a couple of trials, he was sent on a ship and was going through a storm and passed through a storm and shipwrecked on Malta. Now, again, to remind you where it is, Malta was 60 miles south of Sicily. That is there. So you guys, see it. So you guys can see that Italy is here. There's the boot, right? Malta is here, Sicily is here, and there's Syracuse, and the names of the cities that we had covered within this. So Paul traveled a long way to get here, and he lands on this island shipwreck, and remember God's promise. God's promise was, keep everybody on the ship, we're going to wreck the ship, and everybody's going to float on whatever they can do to get to the island. They land on the island of Malta, and they get there, and they were found by the locals. It's interesting the word that's used there for the natives is barbarians. Now, they're landing on this island full of barbarians. Why are they barbarians? Well, because they're not proper people. They're not Jews. 
And they're really not Greeks. They have their own language that is there. And so we would say, you know, they're barbarians, but they're really people that are considered uncultured people on this island. Now, one of the things that I find that's interesting all along this, whether it was Crete or Malta, it was God's intention that the gospel would go to these places that nobody wanted to go to. Have you ever had a place where God would send you and you're like, I really don't want to go there? And he said, no, you need to go there. I don't want to go there. Okay, I'm going to get you there. Well, within this, we see it was all part of God's sovereign plan to get Paul to Crete, where he shared the gospel, church was started, and to Malta, this little island that is there with these barbarians. And so what we find is that these barbarians are showing acts of kindness. They're not really barbarians. They're not headhunters. They're not all of these. But they're, and they're kind. And they see 276 people washing up the shore. And they say, we've got to warm them up. So they started these warming fires that are there. And the account tells us, and remind you, Luke is writing all of this narrative. And it's important to pay attention because Luke is a doctor who pays attention to details. And in and, and all of Luke's writing, you'll see anatomy used in his, in his writings that are there. So Dr. Luke is sitting there and watches Paul take a handful of sticks and goes to throw them into the fire. And then a viper jumps out and bites him on the hand. Thank you, God, for this. Now I'm on an island full of barbarians and I get bit by a poisonous snake. All I wanted to do was go to Rome and the cruise ship left me. I'm here. This is what I got to do. Well, the natives, the locals that were there said, obviously, this man is wicked. He's a murderer. Why? Because he's snake bit. You see, the island was driven by superstition. It was their own kind of ideas of, of theology based on these superstitions. And they believed that the God, or actually the God is, named Justice. If you notice in the text, it says Justice did this. That's the name of a Greek god. The daughter of Zeus that was there, and Themis, Themis that they worked, the goddess Justice would work through circumstances. And what they determined in watching this was, well, this guy didn't die in the ocean. So justice is going after him and sending a snake to be able to bite him. And so they believe that it's this, this divine retribution. We have, I hear people say this thing that, well, karma will get them. What is karma? Karma is just another name for a false god, this idea. It's not karma. God is divinely in charge, and we have an opponent. His name is Satan, and he wants to cancel you and destroy you. And there's this spiritual battle that's going on for you, for your soul, for your ministry. And God's calling you to move. And no doubt, this viper comes because, again, Satan wants Paul dead. Why? He doesn't want him in Rome. He doesn't want the ministry to continue. He wants to shut Paul up. He wants to stop the gospel. In fact, he doesn't even want them to witness to these people on Malta. And he's trying to take them out. Can you imagine, Paul? All I wanted to do was put some firewood in. Now i got this snake. Ugh! And everybody's watching him going, he's going to drop dead. Let's watch him. He's going to swell up like a balloon. He's going to fall over. 
Sorry to disappoint locals. God's in charge. What's powerful about this? The sovereign God said to Paul, you will be my witness in Rome and nothing is going to stop you. And Satan is throwing everything he can to try to stop him from continuing on in this path. And God, who is sovereignly protecting Paul, he protected him through all the beatings, through all the imprisonments, through all the different things, the storm. God has protected Paul all along the way, even to the point that where he was stoned and thought to be dead and died and was caught up in the third heaven. Even that didn't stop him from moving forward. Do you realize that God is not done with you until he's done with you and will take you home? You don't get to be done until God says you're done to take you home. Everybody take a breath. Guess what? You're still breathing. You're still a missionary. Keep it on. You, you still need to keep working. And so within this, we see this, this superstition that's among the villagers that are there. And, and they're waiting to see. Now, you say, well, Carrie, well, why did God allow this to happen? It is all setting up the platform for ministry, basic level ministry. Because what ends up happening in verses 7 through 10, as these villagers are going, wow, this guy is like a god, that Paul meets the leader of the island. This would be kind of like the chief man, the first man. And he has a whole estate that is there within this. And again, we see this guy in verse 7, and it says the neighborhood is a place where the lands belong to the leading man of the island named Publius. Now, within this, Paul didn't allow these, the superstitions to stop him from ministry. He meets Publius, who welcomes him and entertains him, and gives them a lot of opportunity, and shows hospitality or philanthropy. Now, can you imagine, you've been on a ship, you've been in ports, you've gone through all this stuff, and the guy who is the richest guy on the island that owns this big estate says, hey, you come stay with me for a while. And you look and there's food and there's a place to sleep and there's all of this stuff. Would you do that? Absolutely you would. You know, he's got this little little condo and he's ready to go and being taken care of and, and all of this. But again, we see a divine appointment. Why? Because Publius' father, while Paul is there, gets sick. Now, Dr. Luke says he got sick with a fever and dysentery. Now, you don't find that kind of detail in other places of Scripture, but the doctor says, yeah, he had a fever and he had dysentery. Have you ever heard of Montezuma's Revenge? It's a thing. And if you go to Mexico or some, yeah, you'll know. Right? If you travel much, you'll know. And, and, you know, when we went to, to Turkey and some of our trips, people have figured it out. Well, there's this thing called Malta fever. It's a real thing. And so, you know, Publius' dad had Malta fever. He got sick in this. And you say, well, why is that important? Because one of the basic levels of evangelism is meeting a person's need that provides a platform to witness. You take a look at Jesus. What did he do? He fed 5,000 with two fish and some loaves and, and five loaves and was able to have a platform for ministry. 
He would heal the sick. He would, he would heal the lame. He would heal the blind. Why? Why all the miracles? Why didn't he just heal everybody? Because he healed people in the divine, based on a divine appointment to give a platform to be able to preach. And so Paul reverts back to basic level ministry 101. You want the opportunity to evangelize. When God gives you a divine appointment to minister to somebody, meet their human need, which gives you the platform to be able to share Jesus within this. What was Paul bringing? He was bringing the divine power of God to a people that were superstitious. He was bringing the power of God to a group of people that were believing in the goddess justice and all of the other goddesses or gods that were there. He was bringing the one true God. And how did he do that? Through action. Through love. He goes in and he lays hands on Publius' father and prays for him and heals him. There's power in that. What would it be like if someone said, hey, could you pray for my dad, my grandfather? And you said, okay, let's go to his house. Let me pray for him specifically. Let me go inside and pray over him right now. What kind of message would that say? What kind of power would that be? To actually take the time to go to some place where somebody is sick and say, Yes, I want to pray for you right now in person. The, the ability to be present in somebody's illness, in somebody's difficulty. To pray for them. In James chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're sick, or you're depressed, or you need prayer, you can call to meet with the elders and we will pray with you. We will pray over you. We will anoint you with oil. We will touch you. Why? Because when you touch somebody when you're praying with, it's not magical. It's not an incantation. But by touching them, you're connecting with them. And you say, I'm very present with you right now. I'm present with you in this illness. And I'm joining myself with you in this. The oil in Near Eastern culture was medicinal. It was the idea of a comfort. Very dry, very arid. Typology says that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. If you need prayer, pray. When we pray, we can meet with people in their condition, lay hands on them. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I can touch him. He's got dysentery. Lay hands on him. Pray. We have people in the hospital even now that could use a visit. That could use prayer. We need people to be able to go and pray. Why? Because that gives the platform for the gospel. To be able to pray for them. Because in that, it's an amazing thing when God does healing. And God may or may not do the healing, but the power of prayer is phenomenal. How do we know it's powerful? Because Paul would spend three months in Malta. Remind you, he was shipwrecked in Malta early in the storm season. So he would have to remain on Malta for the rest of the storm season until March when the ships could set sail again. 
So for three months, Paul is on this island, and snakes can't hurt him, but people are being healed. And he's doing ministry. And he's meeting people's needs. That is there. And many people on that island that had need came to Paul and were saved. Paul is a Roman prisoner with a Roman guard. And he's doing ministry. Nothing is going to stop him from sharing the gospel. As a result, the people honored him for this service. And they supplied his needs. Because if you're a Roman prisoner, it was you had to provide for your own needs. So he would have to provide for his own food on the ship. And his own needs when he was there. Paul did not allow the circumstances and the hardship to stop him from the opportunity. Whatever context you find yourself in, be used by God. Share the gospel. Share the gospel and share Jesus. We move on into the second part of this passage, verses 11 to 14, where God does something amazing, where He provides to Paul encouragement on the journey. Have you ever had a time where you had an impending encounter that you were nervous about? Like you're having to go someplace, what is this going to be like? I don't know. I would imagine for Paul, he's spent. He's been beat up, shipwrecked, all of this. He's, he's tired, and he needs a little bit of encouragement. And God will bring to you those that will encourage you. And again, so they would, Paul would leave in verse 11. It says, at the end of three months, they would set sail on an Alexandrian ship or an Egyptian grain ship, just like the other one at the island, which had the twin brothers on it as a figurehead. So it was about mid-March of 60 A.D. I'm going to show you the map as he would go again. So he's going to leave Malta here, and he's going to travel the 60 miles up to Syracuse. They're going to port there, and then they're going to go to Regium, and they're going to port there, and then they're going to go through the strait and end up in Putoli. And from there, it is a land journey all the way on the Appius Road, all the way to Rome with these two spots that are there. He's on his way traveling, what's interesting is he goes on another Alexandrian grain ship. Why? Because it'd be like a cargo ship. we got these things floating on our river all the time, right? These big cargo ships. So it's another one that has stayed there for the three months and it's getting ready to leave. What's noted, though, is here is the figureheads that are on here. So there's a picture of a figurehead. So a lot of the ships would have these figureheads or these gods at the bow of the ship the particular gods that they had on the bow of their ship were twins. And they were the twin sons of Zeus and Leda, Castor and Pollux. And so these were these gods that were on, the, on these horses. This is an uh, artist sketch of what it potentially would have looked like. You imagine the, the, the work that would have gone in. Now what this tells you is the fact that these people believed in idolatry and, and goddess and false goddesses legitimately, they put their gods on the bow of their ship to be able to move forward within that. They would leave Malta, they would go across to Syracuse, and then they would go start making their way to Rome that was in this. What's important in this passage, though, is verses um, 13 to 14. When they sailed around the, the ports, verse 14, there we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. So when they got to Patoli, another 75 miles, and making a, a total of 210-mile trip, they would land and they would find brethren. Who are the brethren? 
Christians. These were people that heard about Paul that said, Paul, we want to minister to you. We want to serve you. He found encouragement in Petole because God had brought him Petole, or the, the believers that are there. The other thing that's interesting is Julius is the Roman commander that's with Paul this whole time and says, Paul, I really like you. He allowed him to get off the ship and hang out with his believers inside. And, and, and he's watched this all along. We don't know what happened to Julius, whether he came to faith or not. I can't imagine how you couldn't. But he says, hey, you know what? You're going to go to Rome. Before we go to Rome and all this stuff happens, let's stay here for seven days. Let these guys minister to you and encourage you. And you think about all the extras that Julius allowed Paul to enjoy on this trip. And all the hardships. And Paul was able to soak in fellowship. Being in ministry is hard. And it's difficult. And you're going to feel beat up. You're going to feel worn down. And when God gives you times of respite, find that respite. Take the pause. And the best way to do it is with other believers that will speak into your life and bless you. And you can receive that. You need to push back against the fatigue and, and burnout that comes from always giving out. And find those places of retreat and rest to be restored. Sharing the gospel is a hard work because it's a heart work. It's a hard work because it's a heart work. Because when you're sharing the gospel, you're sharing from your heart and you're pouring yourself out. And God knew that Paul needed some pauses. And so in preparation for Rome, he sent him there. But if you allow fatigue and burnout to take you out of the game and you don't engage in the divine appointments of refreshment, you'll stop sharing the gospel. Don't allow fatigue and burnout to stop you from sharing the gospel. Continue on and find hospitality, find refreshment, find breaks. Take those times off to re-energize. And then once you re-energize, hit it again. Go again. And that's what Paul does. Verses 15 to 31, Paul finishes this journey to get to Rome. And he goes on and he says, And the brethren that were there heard about us. They came as far as the market of Appius and three ends to meet us. And Paul saw them. He thanked God and, note, took courage. And again, I'm going to show you that map because this is, uh, he's going to go here and he's going to land here. And he's going to start on the Appian Way, which is an inward road. It's a 130 mile journey from here. And he'll go to the two stations. We would call these rest stops. So he would go to the market or the Forum of Appius and stop there, and then he would travel another 10 miles to three taverns. No, it is not a bar. But, but it was a rest stop. And so within this, it was a place that they would, they would go within this. And again, what happens is the believers from Rome, they come down. In fact, I think I have a... a do I have another map? Yeah, I do. So they would come from Rome... They heard that Paul was coming, and they would come from Rome and meet him here, and then travel the rest of the way. 
the first set of locals that Paul encountered were barbarians. They didn't understand they were the superstition. These are believers that have come to meet with Paul and to walk them into this, this place, this new ministry that is there. And they'll accompany him all the way in. He would end up being able to stay there for two full years and do ministry. In fact, we'll, we read about it in Acts 28.30. And he stayed there two full years in his own rented house that was there within this. And why was he there in a rented house? Because he wanted to preach to Nero. Question. Could Paul have stayed in Jerusalem? Could he have stayed in Antioch? Sure. What was driving him? What would cause him to continue to have a desire to share the gospel, to, to go to places where he knew he would be beaten, in jail, put his life in jeopardy in all of these things? What would move him? Luke, in writing this narrative, brings everything full circle from the beginning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. Jerusalem is on the east. Rome is on the west. And in the context of society, this is the east to the west. But what would move Paul to do this? The Holy Spirit. The internal drive and direction of the Holy Spirit guiding him to fulfill these promises and the calling. And when Paul was called, remember, when he was called into ministry, Acts 9, 15-16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. Note, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's journey was to share the gospel. And it was through a path of suffering. Paul knew that. And he embraced his calling and he embraced his ministry. This is what he was called to do. What are you called to do? I can tell you this. We're all called the same thing. Share the gospel. But your path and your journey is going to be your path and your journey. The appointments that you encounter along the way are the things that God's called you to. And you need to continue until your race is done. Paul wanted this audience with Nero and it would take two years to do that. He would pay for his own lodging while he was there and supported by the churches. When he was there, it's interesting. Paul followed the same pattern. There were 11 synagogues in Rome. 11 synagogues. The gospel had first come to Rome in 49 AD. The Jews were there in 11 synagogues. Paul had the opportunity to just go to the Christians, but he doesn't. What does he do? He lands, and when he gets there, he's there for three days, and then he summons all the synagogue leaders from all 11 synagogues to come meet with him to introduce himself to them. Why? Because Paul believed that the gospel should go to the Jew first, his own people first. And he practiced that pattern of evangelism and ministry everywhere he went. He followed the Acts 1-8 model and said the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So he gets to Rome in this Gentile city and he says, no, I want to meet with the Jewish leaders first. Because in Paul's mind, if I can get these Jewish leaders to come to faith and accept Jesus Christ, then they're going to have the platform in 11 different synagogues to share the gospel. 
powerful. So his first meeting, he'll have two meetings with them. First meeting is he meets with them and introduces himself to them, declares his innocence. I haven't violated any Jewish traditions. All of these things. And, and the people say, we haven't heard anything about you. The Jewish zealots didn't come out. We've got no letters. We need to know more. Paul says, okay. <laughs> if you want to know more, come back another day and then I'll meet with you. How did Paul evangelize? He made his primary connection. This is who I am. And he planted that little seed, that little nugget. And they bit. And they said, yeah, we want to know more about this sect that we've heard so much about. The Nazarene. We want to know more about this Jesus. It's a rumble in Rome. We want to know more. And since you're from there, will you tell us? As a Jewish rabbi with there. What was the seed that Paul planted? The hope of the resurrection. Notice in in. He says, I, I was arrested for the hope of Israel. In Acts 23, 6, he would say, But perceiving that one group of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Paul began crying out to the council, Brethren, I am a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. What is the seed? Would you like to know, if you were to die today, that you could have eternal life in the presence of God and have all of your sins forgiven? What would be the seed? If you were to die today, where would you go? What would happen to you? And let that soak. You want to know more? Let's talk. Evangelism is pretty simple. You reach out to the heart of the people. Meet their needs. Paul would evangelize in the second meeting. And it says, and he would evangelize from what? The law and the prophets. Why? Because there is no New Testament. It's being written during that time. You say, well, can I learn about Jesus in the Law and the Prophets? In the Old? Can I learn about Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes. Yes. The Gospel is in every book of the Old Testament. Jesus, in talking to those that were the two men on the road to Emmaus, from the Law and the Prophets, evangelized the two men that were there. Luke 24, 27, and 44 to 47. Within this. And he preached the gospel. He preached Jesus. What would hinder Paul? What would keep him from preaching Jesus to these Jews? Would their unbelief? Have you ever had a time where it's like, no, you know, I'm not going to share Jesus with them because they're not going to believe. There's no way these people are going to believe. So I'm not going to share the gospel. Fact of the matter is, share the gospel anyways. Throughout Paul's ministry, he's been rejected by Jew after Jew after Jew. Did he allow rejection to stop him from sharing the gospel? No. Because you never know who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. It is not your, your prerogative. It is not your prerogative to keep the gospel from anybody. Share it. Because you never know what God's going to do with that person. We are to follow that standard and understand that there is going to be a separation. Sharing the gospel doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. In fact, some people will hate you. And some people think that, that 
you know, if I share Jesus, everybody's going to be at peace with me. No. In fact, Jesus says, I came to bring a sword and division. But we need to, as he would say here in Matthew 10, 38, he who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Leave it all out there. Share the gospel. What if they don't believe me? Not your problem. Not your problem. What if they don't get saved? Not your problem. What if they don't hear? Now you got a problem because you didn't open your mouth. As we end this, this section, as we end this book, Luke gives the closing words because not everybody believed. Some people did, some people didn't. And, and, and they rejected that message and they would see and not see. And he actually quotes Isaiah out of it. But he ends this and he says this. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Note, with all openness unhindered. Paul would be in Rome from 60 to 62 A.D. Paul is the greatest evangelist that we would ever imagine is locked in a house under house arrest with a Roman guard. By the way, this Roman guard would have to hear the gospel a lot. A lot. They would change guards every four to six hours. And they would have to be chained to Paul. They would hear it a lot. But I can't get out into the public. I can't get out and do ministry. I'm stuck in my house. Are there people in our congregation and people that are homebound? Absolutely. Does that mean they can't evangelize? Oh, no, they can. If you're homebound, invite people to you. It says, with all openness. Paul received these people and shared the gospel for two years within that. Can you minister? Yes. Is there anything that should stop your ministry? Absolutely not. You should preach the gospel without hindrance, as Paul would preach, unhindered. Two years later, Paul would meet with Nero. Nero would hear the gospel and reject the gospel most historians believe that it's at that time that Nero lost his mind and went nuts and started persecuting Christians. Because there was no, no account against Paul, he was released. He traveled through Spain, traveled through Europe, and would continue to do ministry for a period of time until Nero, who had lost his mind, would go to the place where Paul was, decided that he, he shouldn't be alive anymore, he should come back for trial. Paul would write... The books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. When he goes back into prison in the Maritime, Maritime, Maritime Prison, he, he wasn't under house arrest anymore. He would write 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Then he would go stand before Nero, be found guilty. And then in about 67 AD, Paul would lose his head. When was Paul done? When God said you're done. When most of the New Testament epistles were written, when people heard the gospel and all of those things. But Paul never let anything stop him from preaching Jesus. Neither should we. Don't let anything stop you from sharing Jesus. We serve a powerful God and the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for anyone who believes. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you give to us this hope in the future and this gospel message to share. As we've seen through the life of Paul and through the church throughout this whole book of Acts, 
that your gospel went out. And it didn't matter if they stoned Stephen, arrested Paul, or even took his head. The word was written and continues to go out today. God, I realize that there are some people that are in this room or watching online that may, may have never heard the gospel. What is the gospel? That we're all sinners, separated from God by our sin. Eternally damned and judged. But God sent His Son to pay the penalty for that sin. To remove that separation. And all who put their faith and trust in Jesus as their sacrifice Savior and Lord will be given new life. And live with God forever. If you haven't done that, if today you were to die and you don't know where you're going to go, then you and I need to have a conversation so I can share with you Jesus. God, may you go out and give us the power to be able to share that gospel message and honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.
take that message of hope and assurance and love to the world around us and let nothing stop us from bringing you to them them to you and making that introduction and then God may your work be done we praise you and we thank you for our time this morning as we go out this day may everything we say and do put a smile on your face we praise you and thank you in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.